Good evening. Let's open our Bibles and be ready to use the Word of God to put into our hearts and lives. Find Psalms chapter 14 and then put a marker over at Psalm chapter 53, 14, and then after that, 53. I'm going to read both of them. First, 14, and then I'm going to read 53. And please, as the reading takes place, see if you detect any similarity between Psalms 14 and Psalms 53. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge? All the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. 53. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, dooming abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have those who work evil no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God? There they are in great terror, where there is no terror. For God scatters the bones of him who encamps against him, who puts them to shame, for God has rejected them. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion, when God restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. Well, of course you noticed. The two Psalms are virtually identical. In fact, so identical. In many Bible commentaries, commentators will write in some detail about the 14th Psalm. They'll take words and phrases and they'll capture the main idea and they'll move to practical applications. Then in that same commentary, when you come to Psalms 53, they, they will say, see my comments on Psalms 14. That's how identical they are. I believe these passages were probably written at different times but under very similar circumstances and from, obviously, a similar attitude. Tonight, I'd like to look for 
Psalms 53 to become the structure of our study. And there are four questions we're going to review, and then we'll make some applications. What is the fool? What does the fool say? Where does he say it? And then what does this mean today? So keep your Bible open at Psalm 53, and we'll use these questions as the structure of our study. Number one, who is the fool? Let's talk about first impressions. When you just open the Bible and you see the word fool, let's talk about some of the first impressions the typical modern reader might have. We may be tempted when we see this word fool to dismiss this very quickly as simply a dumb person. We use that kind of expression in our culture. There are people we have judged to be dumb, though we may not articulate that or verbalize it. You see people do dumb things. More personally, most of us would have to admit we have done some things that might fall in that category. We may want to think the word fool in the Bible is just exactly the same as the modern term that we use, dumb or stupid. But that doesn't really satisfy the writer's intention in Psalms 14 and 53. You may think that this is about one who lacks formal education. He doesn't have a high school diploma, college degree, no formal studies. Yet, upon further thought, that it seems arbitrary, doesn't it? Because there are many people who have not enjoyed the opportunity of a formal, higher education, yet they've used their minds well, they are self-taught, and they've acted in good character before God. So to think of the fool in terms of a lack of academic depth or academic credentials, that will not work in this context or when applied by common sense. You may think of someone not capable of learning, someone not of sound mind, something is wrong in, in the brain network. But in this passage and others where the term is used, there's simply nothing to discover in the context, no evidence that a mental incompetent person is under consideration or that the fool cannot help himself. May I suggest, therefore, a better approach when we come to the word fool, generously used by the Holy Spirit in Proverbs and in Psalms. The Hebrew word is Nabal. I have no credentials into the Hebrew language, but I use resources and I talk to people who know about this. Curtis Pope, who has held a couple of meetings here before, is very well learned in Hebrew. And I had a conversation with him once about this word fool in Proverbs and Psalms. Coming from a root word signifying the withering of vegetation. The withering of vegetation. If you put out a garden and then at some point before harvest, you just stop working in the garden. You stop working the soil and weeding and irrigation. You just neglect what you planted. You will witness the withering of vegetation 
and the produce that was your initial aim when you put that garden out will, will not occur. And that is sometimes referred to as movement toward death in agriculture. Movement toward death, the withering of vegetation. Well, in Psalms and Proverbs, Nabal is the Hebrew word translated fool, and it's the word for those who threw their practice of evil, their continued sin, suffer movement toward spiritual death. They may have a healthy functioning mind. They may have beyond average capacity to learn, but they live in sin and they continue in sin. If they ever planted a spiritual garden, it's fallen into neglect. They've not maintained a healthy spiritual garden, and so there is movement toward spiritual death. Those who through the practice of their evil and their continued sin suffer this movement toward death are described by this word, Nabal. In Hebrew, the word is fool in our English translations. Something interesting that helps you with this is over in 1 Samuel 25, 25. I'm not going to read all that context, but I'm going to refer to 1 Samuel 25, 25. There is a wife in that context who is describing her husband. Abigail is speaking to David about her husband. And for that background, you can read that intriguing story in 1 Samuel chapter 25. And here's what she said. She said, please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal. For as his name is... So he is. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. She said about her husband, folly is with him. She said to David, he's living up to his name, Nabal. And ten days later, the Lord showed his agreement with that by striking him so that he died. That's 1 Samuel 25, 38. So the fool is the one who has chosen evil, who sends his life away like withering vegetation. He's moving towards spiritual death. Not a harmless simpleton, but someone determined to practice their evil ways moving toward death. What does the fool say? In Psalms 14 and 53, the fool says, there is no God. And you may have observed in some translations, the word there is will be printed in italic type, signifying words supplied by the translator. So literally, the fool says in his heart, no God. I believe given contextual information in Psalm 14 and 53, this cannot be limited to and does not primarily describe the man who evaluates evidence and concludes that God doesn't exist in some sort of intellectual forum or format. This is about the person who rejects God's existence 
and therefore his authority and that rejection of God shows up <clears throat> in this withering practice of immorality as there is movement towards spiritual death. This is a refusal to acknowledge God in every way, his existence and his authority and his right to rule. It is not just an intellectual debate. The fool says there is no God and then he lives that out. He doesn't turn around from that. He is not approached or moved by evidence to the contrary. Most of us know people who at one point in life intellectually said there is no God, but they were open to evidence. And when the evidence was presented from Scripture and from nature, they turned from that atheism. They obeyed the gospel and they're living out the example of Jesus Christ. That's not this guy. This is about the person who rejects both God's existence and authority and then moves in that direction toward death. This is a refusal to acknowledge God in every way. The fool says there is no God. This may be someone with extensive and impressive academic record. There are PhDs who say there is no God. They have a deep academic record. This may be someone with a sound and healthy mind. If you did all the checking that you would do about mental capacity, it's all there. Extraordinary learning ability. But the sense of the word Nabal is, having chosen evil, now suffering the withering effects of sin, resisting the very existence of God and the evidence of God, and standing opposed to everything about God. The fool has said in his heart, no God. One commentator said about this, that sapless fellow, that carcass of a man, that walking sepulcher of himself, in whom all religion and right reason is withered and wasted and dried up and decayed, Nabal. Where does he say it? In both Psalms 14 and 53, in his heart. Notice it doesn't say in his tongue. He may or may not say this verbally, but he says it internally in his heart. And then what's in the heart is lived out in the life. In reading the Bible, you discover that relationship between heart and behavior. And by heart. We're not talking about the organ that pumps blood. By heart we mean the inner man that thinks and reasons and wills and loves and hates and chooses. What we think about, dream about, desire, love, will, and then choose. And all of that becomes the outworking of the heart in behavior. Strong's exhaustive concordance says the heart is the center of everything. Solomon said that in Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So the heart is the center of who we are. What we learn, what we think, what we desire, what we love, what we want in our hearts is all directly related to how we live. Jesus said it in Matthew 12, 34. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What we learn, 
what we dwell on, what we desire and dream and determine, that all influences directly conduct. So this man, the fool, denied God's existence at the very center of who he was. In his heart, the fool has said in his heart, no God. And this should motivate each one of us to guard our hearts with all diligence to keep our hearts by letting Christ rule within us. What does this mean today? What does it mean when people with mental capacity deny God in their heart and just let that work out in their life toward death? What does it mean? Let me ask you to look back at the passage and I'll read again. I want you to listen to how this is all described. We're in Psalm 53 again. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have those who work evil no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God? There they are in great terror, where there is no terror. For God scatters the bones of him who encamps against you, who put them to shame, for God has rejected them. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. I want to call attention to three things now concerning what all this means. When people with mental capacity deny God at the very center of their person in their hearts, what does it mean as they wither away toward death? It means they are corrupt. This is not something I've guessed about or something extracted from the text through some sort of hidden process. Look at the passage. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God, they are corrupt. The atheists in Psalm 14 and 53 are not people who have been involuntarily blinded or kept from the evidence, as I explained a moment ago. This is not a case where evidence has been withheld and they couldn't make a choice that there is a God. This is a case where sin was chosen. Corruption came as a result. And then the practice of abominable iniquity. The heart says there is no God anyway. The issue, the problem is not lack of scientific data or the strength of contrary data. This is not objective. This is subjective. They are corrupt. Atheism and corruption are linked in Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. And about all this, God is disappointed. I think there are three words that ought to get our attention in verse 2. God looks down. Similar to this in Psalm 102.19, For he looked down from the height of his sanctuary, from heaven the Lord viewed the earth. God is watching. God is looking. 
But when God sees what is described in Psalm 14 and 53, he's disappointed, he's offended. He is looking for those who are opposite Nabal. Those who want to understand, those who want to seek him. But instead he sees people who are turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. Interesting observation that this is the passage quoted by Paul in Romans chapter 3 where he is establishing that the human race is lost in sin. In Psalm 14 and 53, the writer accounts for the pain and cost of sin. He says, eating up people, not calling upon God, paranoid, unprotected, living in shame, and God has despised them. Under a sense of impending judgment, that's the condition where God cannot find those who seek him. And there's only one hope, and that's reflected in the text. Verse 6 is a plea for the Messiah to come out of Zion and bring people to God. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion when God brings back the captivity of his people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. At the time Psalms was written and compiled, there was only one hope, and there remains one hope today, the coming Savior, the Messiah. All through the Old Testament, beginning in Genesis 3.15 and at the end of Malachi, there is this message of hope, there will come a Savior. So everything bad morally described the atheist who spirals away into sin and never stops to consider the evidence. The withering of the vegetation, movement toward death, all of that requires one source of redemption, the Savior who is coming. He will speak the truth and illustrate the truth. He will call upon sinners to obey the truth and thereby have the hope of something far better than death. Psalm 53 and 14 becomes a summary statement of the gospel. The corruption of the human race by the choice of individuals to sin, and in this case keep on sinning toward death, <clears throat> the sorrow and disappointment of the Creator but then in his grace, the work of redemption. I'm relatively sure nobody in this audience would say, in heart or mouth, there is no God. I don't believe I'm talking to people who are morally corrupt. But these truths must be taken to heart and applied to life by each of us. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men. His desire is that we understand and seek him. If we turn aside from him, we create our own corruption. Our only hope is the Redeemer who came out of Zion. I've said to you many times, every time you read in the Bible about corruption and about sin... And where sin can take you, it should drive you in the opposite direction. 
Every time you read about the fool in Psalms and Proverbs, it should drive you toward righteousness that can only be found in Christ. Let us rejoice and be glad that we can know such a Redeemer. We can learn more of Him as we read and study and obey the Word of God. If this is the time for you to seek God in some open way, we urge that good response while we stand together to sing. Thank <clears throat> you.